big God story. And so our hope is that what you're seeing each week is almost like a puzzle getting put together. And you're seeing the way that God's story and these themes that come up again and again, this God who wants to be in relationship with us. Uh, but here's one of the neat things that happens. And I, I can tell you already from 830, it was exciting to listen to some people Every week, our hope is that your story interacts with God's story. So there's a way in which, as we're looking in this story, we're also asking questions, what is this saying to me? So more than information, the goal is transformation. The goal is that our life with God, uh, this God who wants to be, as we see in the big story, this God who wants to be in relationship with us, what are the things he's trying to teach me today as I walk with him? And today, uh, as I said, we'll we'll travel with the Israelites uh, on their way to the promised land. Now, uh, uh, when I uh, I was a youth pastor here at the church, and in my second year as the youth pastor here at the church, uh, we did a trip uh, where we drove all the way to the Klamath River, uh, which is on the border of California and Oregon. We were going to do a whitewater rafting trip, quite a long trip two vanfuls of high school students, and I've done the math, and what I've come to uh, understand is two vanfuls of high school students is equivalent to about two million Hebrews, so very similar to Moses leading the people, uh, I had a chance to do this. So uh, now here was the trick, because it was such a long drive, we had to stop halfway through, and so, uh, you know, at the beginning, we all just pack in the vans, like, ah, you can't wait to get there. We do a whole day drive. We're tired. We're kind of starting to get on each other's nerves. We stop at my friend's church in Oakland. We sleep there. What I didn't realize was uh, this church was in the middle of the city, so they had guard dogs uh, in their church campus. So all night long, you know, you finally fall asleep. Kids are, you know, and then you wake up, or dogs, you know, so all night long, wake up, sleep, wake up, sleep, just exhausted. Then five o'clock in the morning comes. And what we didn't know is at five o'clock in the morning, they have a prayer service. But this isn't an ordinary prayer service. This was a very enthusiastic prayer service. So at five o'clock in the morning, bum, 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 these big drums. Ah! It was all this, like they're crying out to God. It was beautiful, I guess. But we were like, stop praying. No, like, I mean, we were just so tired. So now we have to get back in the car, drive another eight hours north, and of course now all of the anticipation has turned into frustration because we're tired, we're cranky, we, we don't really like each other anymore. And so all you hear from the back of the van is what phrase? Are we there yet, right? All the way there. And I, I mean, you know, anyone that's ever done a road trip with your kids, you have heard this phrase, are we there yet? And we're going to walk through. Imagine having to do this with two to three million people saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And so we'll have a little compassion for Moses along the way. But think about high school geometry. Remember high school geometry? You learn this, that the, stri- uh, the shortest distance between two points is what? Straight line, right? So the quickest way between point A and point B is a straight line. But what we've learned from God is that sometimes it doesn't work that way. For God, sometimes his plan to move us from point A to point B is to take the roundabout way. It's to take the indirect route. And so what I want to give you is a big idea today. It is a simple idea It is not an easy idea. And so here's our big idea for today. God often doesn't take the direct route. And I want us to see this kind of golden thread through the whole 
study of what we're doing. If you were to reread this week the chapter on wandering, and as I did, I wrote at the very top of my chapter, God often doesn't take the direct route. And rereading this thinking, watching time and time and time again, where God deviates what should seem like the plan he should be taking or the route he should be taking, but taking a different route altogether. Uh, As we are walking through this, what we're going to see is this, that God often doesn't take the popular route. God often doesn't take the most scenic route in our lives, does he? And my hope is that as we talk about these things, it will help a, a number of you who are stuck between point A and point B. What you might call is kind of your place of wandering. Uh, My hope is that as you listen today, that you might sense a little bit of what God is up to in your life. Kyle Eidelman talks about this place of wandering this way. He says, wandering is living in the space between where I started and where I want to be. Where I started and where I want to be. And some of you feel that with your career. Where you, where you started, where you felt like God was leading you, and where you think you should be. Or some of you feel this in a relationship and the struggle that's going on. And you're stuck in between where you started and where you want to be. And, and for us, I think sometimes maybe we even push through it even harder to say, sometimes we find ourselves wandering because we are stuck between the place we started and the place God wants us to be. And that's what we're going to see in such a a unique way today. So here's what I want you to do. Would you take a second and in one word on your note page, write one word that would capture your wandering right now. Capture the, 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 the journey you're on between A and B right now. Maybe it's career or family or relationship, debt. I don't know what it is, but is there, is there something going on right now that you would just say, gosh, this feels like kind of a wandering part of my life. Now, take a deep breath. Quick prayer. Lord, help us. We need it. And let's turn to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. If you're in the story, I think we're uh, chapter 6 on the story. I said 5 last time. We're in chapter 6 of the story. Page 71. And as you're turning there, what what we want to look at today is uh, there's so much. I mean, we're going to cover two chapters of the Bible. We can't capture it all. Um, But what we can do is this. We can try to answer this question. Why does God lead us on the indirect route? Why does he sometimes take us on the roundabout way, this indirect route? And there's two things, I think, as we walk through the story, there are, there are at least two things, but there's two things that we can spend some time on today looking at. And we want to think about, as we look at God's story, are there things that we can see for our story? So the first reason that we're going to discover that God takes us on this roundabout way, this kind of zigzag path, is because we are not ready. We are not ready. Sometimes we are not ready for point B. We're we're not ready to handle what would happen there. We're not ready for what's there. And so God, along the way, God has taken us on an indirect route to teach us things about himself and teach us things about ourselves. And this is a good thing. And God wants to get us ready for something important. And so one of the things that we see is this. If we think about this, uh, so what we know about the story is 
God had led Joseph into Egypt. Joseph was key to the story. God establishes, he brings his whole family. The people of Israel are living in this land of Goshen. It's this good season, and then it turns into a terrible season of slavery and and genocide. And so God rescues his people. And so he's, he's taking them from the land of Goshen. And remember, the promise he's now made for generations, hundreds of years, is that he is giving them a promised land. They will be, they will be a nation that will bless the world. This is his promise all the way back to Abraham. And so God is fulfilling that. And as God is fulfilling that, uh, it's very interesting. So let me just give you an illustration of what God does here. So I'm going to put a map, I'm, and I'm going to look over here for you on the right hand side so let's see if i can get my laser pointer there it is you can see that tiny so if you look up in this left hand corner this is where they were the land of goshen and over here in the top right corner this is where they're headed that is the straight line and you see that little path there that would be the quickest route it was called the way of the sea it would take about 10 days for them to travel from point a to point b But if you were with us last uh, week, you saw this, that God took them down this path all the way down here to Mount Sinai, and they spend a year down there. So why is it that God takes a year to do what he could have done in 10 days? Now, one of the most interesting things that we see about this experience is this. Uh, uh, If you go back to uh, their journey out, Exodus chapter 13 You can write this down, and you can look at it later, but Exodus chapter 13 gives us a clue to this. In Exodus 13, so the people are leaving, the the Passover has happened, the last plague has happened, they're like, get out of here, and so they're going. So they get to there at that point, they could just go the straight line, but Exodus 13 verses 17 and 18 say this, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. Did you catch those last three words? Toward the Red Sea. Now think about this. God deliberately took them on the roundabout way, the indirect route. He deliberately took them right to the Red Sea. You think of that experience. Their hearts were racing. They were terrified. A sea in front of them, a hostile army behind them. But why is he doing this? We see some some clues in in what's happening in all of this. Uh, Here's this moment for them to trust him. And they they cross the Red Sea, and then then they come down to Mount Sinai, as we saw last week. And and he spends a year with them down there. And and again, we start seeing, and, and we're trying to think, why is God taking so long to do what he wants to do? Now, maybe uh, you are a little like me when you're trying to get somewhere. So I, I've now, with my phone, I can put down, we all have GPS now, I have my little Maps app, and so I'll put the location in my phone, hit drive, and it will now tell me, here's not just the route, but the estimated time of arrival. And I look at that and go, I could do better. <laughs> and it might say, you will arrive at 2.04, and I'm like, I can do it at 201. And, I, and so I am like geared up, like my, my heart is racing to, to, to shave three minutes off that estimated time. Can I beat that? Why? Because I am a, in, in, a, in a hurry to get to where I need to get. 
On, on Wednesday, my wife and I are, are leaving for two weeks to do nothing. We're going on vacation, 25th anniversary. We're just shutting down, turning off. We're just two weeks of just sitting on a beach and doing nothing. But come Wednesday morning at about 6 a.m., I'm going to be like, let's go, let's go. And we're going to be like racing to the airport, racing through the airport, and I will want to be the very first person on the plane. She will want to be the very last person on the plane. And she's always asking me, why are you in such a hurry? Why are you in such a hurry? I'm like, I am in a hurry to, to go, to get there. She's like, we're going to, to do nothing. I am in a hurry to do nothing. Like I, I, and that's what I feel. I'm, I, I want to get going. Let's do this. Her dad has this slogan. Maybe some of you have heard it. We, we tease him. He's always going around us saying, come on now, we're burning daylight. We're burning daylight. Like he, we, he, we're in a hurry. But have you noticed something in the story? The eternal God never seems to be in a hurry. He makes a promise to Abraham. It takes 25 years for that promise to be fulfilled. Joseph is a teenager when he's taken away, he's sold into slavery. It takes over 20 years for him to be in that moment where he can say, this God was with us and God was doing this to save many lives. Moses, 40 years in Pharaoh's court, 40 years in the desert. And now here they are again. And I tell you this because you are going to see this theme again and again and again. We're going to get to David. You'll see a promise and anointing as king and decades until he becomes king. God, the eternal God, does not seem to be in a hurry. I don't don't remember one passage about Jesus ever running from place to place. And yet you and I know we are often in a hurry And here's one of the things that we begin to learn. It's not in your notes, but it might be worth writing down. But it seems this, that God is more concerned about who you are becoming than where you are going. God is more concerned about who you are becoming than where you are going. So let's just think where he's been, what he's trying to do. He leads them to the Red Sea. What is he trying to show them? What is he trying to do in them? He's trying to build in them faith and trust I mean, this is the miracle among miracles, and he wants them to know, you can trust me. As as crazy and as difficult as it's going to get, you can trust me. He takes them and he gives them this time of, of commandments and laws. Why? Because I want you to be different than all the other people. I want you to stand out. I want you to be holy. I want you to be set apart. He gives them the tabernacle and all the instructions, and they build this, and he centers himself in the, in the middle of the camp. Why? Because I want you to know I want to dwell right at the center. I don't want to just speak at you. I want to dwell right in the very center of you. And so we see time and time again all these ways in which God is trying uh, not to be in a hurry, but he's trying to develop them, trying to get them ready for what's next. And if you follow him long enough, you will find at some point you are trying to go from point A to point B, And he seems like he's taking way too long. Maybe it is with your career. And you're in a career transition and you're praying and people are praying for you in your life group and they're sharing the promises of God and you have this big interview and you're thinking, this is it. Finally, point B. And the email comes and they say, thank you for your time, but we're we're moving on. And you're thinking, God, why are you taking so long and you realize you're on this roundabout way. I've been able to talk with a lot of you about your daring faith commitment. You, you took a big jump 
to be generous, to bless. And you thought, God's going to meet us in this, and maybe he'll even bless us beyond what we can do. We don't know how we're going to do it, but we know he's in it. And you thought maybe even more money would come in, and it's been the opposite. It's gotten tighter and tighter, and you realize we're on this indirect route. We're on this roundabout way in which God is, seems to be teaching us about contentment, maybe, or trust, or generosity. There's something that he wants to teach us. I, for many of you, you, you know me long enough to know that uh, it seems to have been kind of a straight line, A to B, from being the youth pastor of the church to becoming the senior pastor. Uh, the, the people that are closest to me know it wasn't just a straight line. It was a significant dip from 2007 to 2009. So in 2007, as my son came into the youth group, I kind of sensed my time in youth ministry needed to be coming to a close. Uh, I just knew it was time. It just, there was something about that. You, some of you know those career transition moments, but I didn't know what else I could do. I didn't know where else I would go. And so I'm going to these awkward interviews at other churches I, I'm, I'm doing all these things that don't seem to make sense. I can't figure out what is next in my life. And there's panic and there's fear. And I'm trying to trust God that something's going to happen. And, and here's the guy who said, I will never be a senior pastor. And I changed my major in seminary so that I wouldn't. I would be ineligible to be a senior pastor. And this unique way in which God brings me this. And I realize now I'm going through this and Ken and I are studying this together and I'm thinking, wow, those two years, so much happened to teach me and train me and get me ready to get you ready uh, for an inexperienced guy. And so all those things, I began to think of this and I thought, what if I were to become the senior pastor in 2007 without those two years? We would have had to do daring faith in a whole different way because I would have burned this place to the ground. It would have been a smoldering mess here. I mean, there was no way. Like, it, would have been a, it would have been a difficult season. But God knows that sometimes that we don't need to take the straight line path because if we do, we will never make it to point B. And that's what he knew about the Israelites. Remember what he said. He said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God knew if I take him on the straight line, it's very likely that this little moment ends really early. And so he takes him down this other path. Now this was so interesting if you, if you understand this path. So it was called the way of the sea. It was also known as the way of the Philistines. If anyone from the north wanted to attack Egypt, they would come in through this trade route. And so Egypt had created all these kind of defense systems along the way. So they would have to keep fighting Egypt along the way. And if they got through that, then they would have had to come across the Philistines, the most warlike people in that time. And all they knew was what it was like to be slaves for 400 years. They didn't know what it was like to fight. They didn't know how to protect themselves. And so God takes them on this different route. He deviates away from that. There's some other little small battles they have, and they learn to trust him. They learn to fight. And all those things, God is preparing them. Now, it's very important that God is getting them ready because we, we see this group, they are not ready. They are not ready at all. In fact, if anything we see is that this group, they struggle with control. They are backseat drivers the whole way. And they spend more time whining than they do worshiping. They spend more time complaining than anything else. In fact, this is how the chapter began. You started to see this, that uh, uh, on page 71, 
uh, of the story, Numbers chapter 11. It says, Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. And the people cried out to Moses. He prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. Now it's interesting. So here's this moment. They, they're crying out. They're complaining. The fire comes. Whoa! They stop. But they don't seem to really kind of change their attitude. Verse 4, notice again, the rabble with them began to crave other food. So kind of out on the outskirts of the, of the camp, they start complaining and it kind of makes its way into the middle. They're craving other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and saying, if only we had meat to eat. Remember when, uh, remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost and the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Manna, manna, manna. All we ever eat is manna. And they sound like your four-year-old kid. And they're saying, gosh, remember the day back in Egypt and we had the fish and the melons and the, and the leeks and onions and, and Moses wants to go, and you were slaves! And, and they would take your children and, and drown them. Wake up, people! And there's no contentment in the people for what they're experiencing with God. And some of us sometimes find ourselves in this indirect way because we have no contentment with where God has us. We want more. More money, more power, more privilege. We want more. And we're thinking, ah, before I was a Christian, I had this and this and girls on each arm and da 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 Yeah, and you were lost in sin. You were without his presence and his power. And so God's going to train them in this moment. So he says, all right, you want meat? Get ready. I got meat for you. So notice what happens in the story, page 72. It says, he says, tell the people, consecrate yourselves. Okay, get yourselves ready. Set yourselves apart. Become holy. In preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will eat it. And you will not eat it for just one day, or two days, or five, or ten, or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out your nostrils and you loathe it. Because you've rejected the Lord who is among you, and you've wailed before him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? You get the, almost a picture of the dad. I don't know if any of you ever got caught smoking and your dad made you smoke the whole pack until you vomited. Like, you almost get a little kind of picture of that. Like, okay, you want to try this? Let's see how this goes. Now, it's interesting that even Moses needs training because think of what God has just said. I'm going to, okay, I'll give him meat to eat, Moses. In fact, I will feed all these people for a month. And Moses is going, there's no way. There's no way. Listen to what Moses says. He says, here I am among 600,000 men. Okay, that's just the men. That's not including the women and children. And you say you're going to give meat to eat for a whole month? Would you have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would you have enough if the fish of the sea, all the fish of the sea were caught for them? And and Moses is doing the math in his head, and he's carrying the two, and he's like, there's just no way this measures up. There's no way God can do it. And I love uh, Numbers 11, 23. It's right in the top of, of page 73. The Lord says this to Moses. Is the Lord's arm too short? 
Some of you need to write that down on a little post-it note and put it on your computer screen or your bathroom mirror or your dashboard. Is the the arm of the Lord too short? Now you'll see whether or not what I say will come true or not. You ever been there? Is that maybe why you're wandering? Because you think the arm of the Lord is too short. You know there's a job you should take, but it will pay less. It doesn't add up. You know God wants you to go on this missions trip, but how am I going to get off work, and how am I going to raise the money, and how am I, how am I, how am I? You think the Lord's arm is too short. You know the Lord wants you to get married, go to graduate school, I don't know, whatever it is. But you have all the reasons why not, why the Lord's arm is too short. One of the things I loved about Tim being up here today is uh, our friend Tim. Tim is a part of Frontiers, part of our our mission partners um, and part of Beach Point. But Tim is a part of uh, the same group that Heidi and Taylor. Isn't it interesting that God has in the last year sent, just in the last short season, three of our people have moved into this unreached area where the gospel really has no impact yet. And then we have someone like Tim, who's, like a, who's a mobilizer for churches and is going to be working through with churches all throughout the uh, Southern California. And about a year ago, we began praying and began a conversation about what would it look like for us to send a team of people to move to that area and to be a missions team there, not for a week or a month, but for years, maybe for their lifetime. And at first my thought was, no one will do that. And then I started thinking through Tammy's calling and all the unique ways God called Tammy, who, who we sent now to Chad. And I began to think about Beach Point Huntington Beach and all the people that got up and said they felt called to go with Ken to be missionaries in the city. And I realized, why do I think the, the Lord's arm is too short? And so in a couple weeks, there's a group of about 30 of us. We're going to go and we're going to pray and we're going to think through this and see how, how will this happen? Are you in a place of wandering because you simply think the Lord's arm is too short? It's not because we see this in page 73 of the story. Uh, we see this, that a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It scattered them up to t- two cubits deep all around the camp as far as a day's walk in any direction. All that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than 10 homers. Now, let me do, help you do the math a little bit there. So the, the Israelites are about 50 miles inland. Quail tended to live along the coast. So first of all, it's a supernatural wind that drives all these quail in. And, and so we know this based on the Hebrew system of measurement. A day's walk is about 15 miles in any direction. So you have this 700 square miles of space that you're talking about. And the, the quail are three feet deep. I mean, think about this. Imagine being there and you see this cloud of birds coming in. It's like quail mageddon. It's just like, ah, I mean, here they come. Those people for years would close their eyes and they would see the shadow, the sun blacked out as these quail came in. And if you uh, think about 10 homers multiplied by 600,000 men uh, equals at least 6 million homers at minimum, and a homer would hold about 200 liters. So think about that. If you take the average quail 
and you think about this, it was about 105 million quail that came in that day. 105 million. God doesn't just provide, he provides in dramatic fashion. Moses could have never anticipated this. And all the while, God is trying to build their faith. Why? Because God is more concerned about who you are becoming than where you are going. And that means sometimes recognizing that I am not ready for point B. And so he's going to take the time that he needs to get me ready, to get me to where I need to go. That's the first reason, and that one feels good. And we can go, all right, I'm okay with that one. The second one is a little harder to, to take. The second reason why we find ourselves wandering is because we lack faith. We lack faith. Sometimes we find ourselves wandering not because God is leading us this way. We find ourselves wandering because we didn't trust God when he invited us to do so. So God is working his way through. And he's got him down at Sinai, and he's going to lead him up to Kadesh Barnea, which is kind of this lookout point. And Deuteronomy chapter 1 says this, that it would take 11 days to get to that next spot. So it's going to take him about 11 days. It's been about a year, 11 days. They're going to get it right at the edge. And then he's going to send the spies in to check on the land. And so that's 40 more days. So we got about 50 days. It should take about 50, 50-ish days to get ready to enter the land. And what we know the story is this, is that it's going to take 39 years for them to enter the land. So once again, we find ourselves asking, something that could have taken 50 or so days takes 39 years. What happened? Well, they come to the edge of the promised land, they send the spies in, and the spies come back and they give this account. They say, they, you got to think about this. Here they come walking up. They got two guys holding a stock of grapes. Okay? When it takes two people to hold a, a stock of grapes, you know this is indeed a land flowing with milk and honey. This is an abundant, blessed place. And so here's the account they give. They gave Moses this account. On page 75 of the story, we went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. But the people who live there, see, notice the but, are powerful, and their cities are fortified and very large, We even saw the descendants of Anak there. Then verse 30, it says, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. And so they can say, it is all as promised, all as, as, as advertised, but... And they stop looking at the blessing, and all they can see are the obstacles. All they can see are the challenges. But, 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 but. And ten of the twelve spies say... We can't do it. It's too big. Even God can't do it. Page 76 of the story, Numbers 14, we read this. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun. Caleb, uh, uh, son of uh, 
that guy, who were all, all, uh, among them and who explored the net land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone. The Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Moses uh, and Aaron fall face down. Ten of the spies are turning the whole crowd against them, but two of the spies, Joshua, Caleb, stand up. The Lord is with us. We can do this. The Lord has said, do this. I know it looks like it's impossible, but the Lord is with us. We will see this theme again and again in the story. We can't do it in our own power, but the Lord is with us, and because he's with us, we can do it. And all the people can see the circumstances And they even cry out, God hates us. That's why he brought us here. Let's turn back. And and it is such a critical moment in this moment that God decides, okay, you don't have to go. In fact, I won't let any of you in except your children. So a whole generation is going to have to die out. And they'll spend 39 years wandering in the desert so that generation that lacked the faith will not go in. Only Joshua and Caleb will go in. And God will take, he says, I will take their kids in. So we'll wait until all of you die. And it is such a a unique moment in Israel's history that even the psalmist will write about it years later. In fact, we talked about this a few weeks ago in Psalm 78. A warning, don't be like that generation. Don't be those people who wouldn't trust God. Don't be like those people who, who lacked faith. What should have taken 11 days has taken 39 years. And it even has this effect on Moses. In fact, we see that there comes this moment in Moses' uh, life where, uh, again, the same idea that we had seen earlier in his, his life. He's wandering and he's tired of all the complaining. And there comes this moment, we need water. And so Moses says, that, says to God, and God says, okay, speak to that rock and there will be water. And Moses, you saw in the video, he takes his staff and he strikes the rock. And the water comes. And you're thinking, yeah, that's how it happened before, right? It is. But see, the, there's two moments where this, this miracle happens. The first time, we, both, both times we see the, the word the rock. But the first time, the Hebrew word is for granite. And so to be in the desert to strike granite and for water to come out, that's a miracle. And that shows him setting, saying, God is holy. Only God could do this. But the second time, the rock is limestone. And limestone would be where you would go in the desert to find water. And so you would strike limestone and water would come out. And so God has to say to Moses, he says, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I will give them. Even Moses, even Aaron are told, because you didn't trust me, you won't lead these people in. And we'll see next week as Joshua leads them in. Now the second point, I don't say this to scare you. As the psalmist does, I share it with you to warn you. And, And here's the reason why. Because some of you right now are on the verge of terrible decisions. Decisions that will create terrible consequences for you 
and your family. And the Lord is asking you to trust him and to hold on to him and to go with him. But you want to take a shortcut or all you can see are the obstacles. And I'm begging you, don't make that decision. Don't make that decision. Hear the warning of the psalmist. Don't be like that generation. Trust the Lord. God is a God who sometimes takes us on the roundabout way. He doesn't always take us on the direct route. So I want us to take a moment as we close our service to give you a question to just reflect on and decide as, you, as the Lord is bringing things up in your heart. Will you follow God when he takes you on the indirect route? Will you follow him? As he's taking you from point A to point B, will you follow him? It might mean embracing something new. It might mean letting something go. But today, I'm asking you to pray through this. Our, our mission here at Beach Point is to be authentic followers of Jesus Christ. It's, it's who we are. It's why we exist. Everything about everything we do here is to call you to be a follower of Jesus. And that means, to be a follower means you, you can't fall too far behind and you can't jump ahead of him. You got to stay in step with him. And that means you follow him no matter where he leads you, no matter what it costs you. You, you, you trust him. You follow him. And so let's take a moment just to silently pray, asking yourself, uh, am I going to trust him? Am I going to follow him, even if it means the indirect route? Let's take a moment to pray, and then we'll sing through these songs and let these songs be our prayers.